Teach me about the Great Lakes. Teach me about the Great Lakes. Welcome back to Teach Me About the Great Lakes, a twice-monthly podcast in which I, a Great Lakes novice, get people who are smarter and harder working than I am to teach me all about the Great Lakes. And uh, actually, this is uh, my name is Stuart Carlton. I work with Illinois Indiana Sea Grant. This is actually kind of a, a special episode because, you know, it's fall and a lot of our team is vaccinated. And so we thought it would be fun for us to kind of get together, you know, spend some time outside in the beautiful fall weather. You know, just sort of sit around, maybe tell some stories about the lake or, or whatever. And, and I thought it'd be fun for you, the listener, to uh, join in. And, and so what we're doing is we've actually, we rented a lake house out on Lake Michigan. And um, we're going to go there and, and you know, we're going to just record it. We'll edit it down to the best parts. And and uh, and that's what you're going to hear uh, in just a minute after this introduction. Uh, so I thought it would, you know, really be worth doing. I thought it'd be fun. Um, so let's see. Oh, oh, look at that. There's the hotline now. I think that should be Ethan with his info. Hold on. Hey, Stuart. This is Ethan. We were able to get a place booked through ScareBnB. The address? 742 Overlook Terrace. Right next to the lake. It's supposed to be a big place. You won't miss it. Okay, good. He got something from Airbnb, it sounded like. So let's go there. Two thirty or 742 Overlook Terrace. All right. Well, so what we're going to do is we're just going to walk out to my car. And um, I'll, I'll continue the introduction a little bit as I drive there, but then we'll cut until we get to the actual house itself. So uh, just give me a second here. I'm walking to my car. Um, the outside. There's my car. All right. Let me open the door. Oh, that's weird. There's a hook on the door. Huh. I don't know what that is. Well, let me get rid of it. All right. Good. And I'll open the door and shut it. Now we'll get started. Oh, let me turn that down. Hold on. Okay. So uh, I'm going to cut here real quick but just just so you know as as we're getting there uh again we're recording this outside and as you know the midwest is really windy so we had to give everybody their own microphone instead of using uh just kind of one central microphone because it couldn't get picked up so if you notice like all the people there are uh sounding a little bit different or whatever you know the, the audio quality is different that's not because we're recording this um with a bunch of different microphones sort of spread around illinois and indiana uh, that's because uh, they have different microphones in person there at the lake where i am about to drive and we're going to do this episode from so don't let yourself be confused anyway so uh now i got the car let's um drive and we'll pick it up when we get a little bit closer all right Okay, good. Let's see, here we are. Oh, this must be the... There's Sleeping Bear Dunes. Not, no, my GPS is taking me... Oh, that's weird. Past Sleeping Bear Dunes. Ethan, where is this place? Bleeping Scared Dunes. Okay. Uh, I guess it's down this way, then. Turn the car. That's good. Wow, Ethan was right. This place is, is awfully big. Awfully big house. All right, let me just go ahead and shut the door there. Open it. Or shut off the car. Open the door. Okay. Good. Well, let me walk on over. All right. Wow, it's a big place, Ethan. I don't know where you found this. She was. All right. There's the front door. Okay. I guess I'll take that room. That's the biggest one. That's the administrator's privilege right there. But I don't see everybody. I guess. Oh, they're out back. I see them right now. All right. Head on out back there. Good. Um, all right. Oh, look. Hey, there's everybody. 
Hey, Stuart. Hey, Carolyn. How are you? I'm doing all right, thank you. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Ethan, G- Geneva is here. Geneva, hey. long time. No- I haven't seen you since, what, Portland, I guess, huh? I know. It's been a while, Stuart. Thanks for inviting me out here. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, we're always glad to have a, just a nice time outside uh, while we're here. Oh, there's Hope. Hey, Hope, do you mind starting up a fire for us real quick? Oh, sure. I got that. Oh, oh, there she goes. Where'd you get those matches, Hope? <laughs> I just carry them around. I'm not a pirate or anything, I promise. <laughs> Sounds good. Wait, what? Oh, there we go. Wow, that's nice. So what's new? The thing about the Great Lakes, it's so nice to be out. Unbelievable fall weather. Anybody have anything cool to talk about? Well, guys, I, uh, I've i got a new podcast that I'd like you guys to be able to hear. That a new I'm podcast? On. Yeah, um, it's called Midwest Mysteries. Midwest Mysteries? What's it all about, man? Well, um, we hear all sorts of kind of urban legends and strange tales from all over the Great Lakes and the Midwest. And then we dig into them a little deeper to find out what the story that started them is. Oh. Using your historian skills. <laughs> That's, That's right. Awesome. Using your historian skills. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, well, I'd love to hear it once it's released or whatever. That that sounds fun, Ethan. I'm, I'm glad to hear about that. Well, actually, if you're, if you're that excited about it, I have the first episode here really? with me. I've got it on my phone. Huh. Well, let's go ahead and uh, fire it up right now. another episode of Midwest Mysteries. Have you ever noticed how sometimes things just disappear? How something you're absolutely certain you know where you put it wanders off mysteriously? Perhaps it's just the stumbling of a forgetful or frazzled mind. Or perhaps it's something more. Our story today starts with Ned and Marge Pifos. It starts off the way many stories do. We join a couple at home, frustrated by a home maintenance problem. Hi, hon. Did you take a look at the washer? Yeah, I took a look at it last night, but didn't see anything that was really wrong. I'll go take a look at it in a little bit. I want to watch this story about microplastics real quick. I'm telling you, it was making weird noises. It seems to do it around this time every year. Weird. Okay, I'll get my tools and take another look. By the way, have you seen my fleece sweatshirt? The green one. I thought I put it in the wash, and it's starting to get cold out. Nope, I was going to ask you, have you seen my fuzzy socks? Huh, there's some fuzz on that drain. I guess I'll take a look at the filter. Hey, dear, come take a look at this. Did you put a grease rag in the washer again? No. It looks like it's coming from the outside. Ew! Why is it all sorts of colors? What was that? Sounded like the pipe was shaking. Hmm. My shot bag's stuck. What on earth is going on? Is that a sock? Oh no! Ah! Oh no! It's got my hand! My hand! Help! Help! It's got my hand! Oh, 
Ned P. Foss was never heard from again. Neighbors say that Marge P. Foss was staring intently at her washing machine and screaming about a sock monster. Every year, there are reports of things disappearing, particularly around our lakes and waterways. Most of these things go unnoticed, but occasionally, such as the case of Ned Pifos, someone speaks up. Where is it all going? And if we're not careful, when is it going to come for us? After all, scientists in the Great Lakes only find microscopic pieces after these mysterious creatures are done with their takings. I mean, I'm not, I'm terrified. Scariest story I've ever heard. It really is. <laughs> uh, Ethan, that sounds good. Uh, that is, boy, that is likely to get more listeners than we have. I'll say that much. <laughs> oh, I, I am, I'm terrified, to tell you the truth, from that kind of uh, scary, scary story. Well, I mean, we have had a number of people come and talk to us about plastics and microplastics, right? And then PFOS, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you hear that? Do you hear something? I don't know, Stuart. What do you think that is? I don't know. Just wild know. wilderness, right? Yeah, I guess we're just outside, and you know, of course, we have this roaring fire, so it's hard to hear much of all, but uh, much at all. But yeah, I don't. I just thought I thought I heard a little something. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, yeah, boy, thinking about scary stories, it does, it does, hmm. it does kind of remind me of uh, you know, like when we used to sit around campfires and tell scary stories and things like that. Like when I was a kid, you know, in Boy Scouts. Of course, you never wanted to go to sleep in Boy Scouts, but uh, so you would sit around and, and for various reasons, <laughs> but so you would sit around and tell scary stories. Um, and uh, yeah, does anybody know any like good, good scary stories to tell? Yeah, Stuart, I think I've got a story I could tell. Oh, I bet. I bet since you're a communications editor at our good friends at Michigan Sea Grant, uh, y'all do a lot of time telling stories over there. So I, I, I would love to hear a story. Yeah, so I grew up spending a lot of time on the shores of Lake Michigan. And when you spend a lot of time somewhere, it tends to, you know, kind of get into your head a little bit. And I can tell you, I've had a few nightmares about Lake Michigan. And I think this story is going to explain a little bit as to why. One day, not so long ago, Lake Michigan brooded underneath a steely sky. Heavy waves rocked onto the shoreline, and dark clouds threatened rain. The lake was frustrated. It felt the skim of boats across its face. It felt the scrape of its dunes being flattened to make way for luxury condos. It felt the itch of unfamiliar and hungry creatures beneath its waters. It felt the creeping stain of yet another chemical spill from yet another factory. Lake Michigan was frustrated, and it was tired and it was angry. The lake scowled in the way only a lake can scowl, and another line of white caps pounded the shore. Then a pair of gulls landed on the branch of a floating tree trunk. Lake Michigan sent a little ripple toward the gulls to listen to their conversation. 
The birds chattered about nestlings and small silvery fish, and the lake leaned closer. A great wave on a great lake called the ocean. The gulls hadn't seen the wave themselves, but their cousin's cousin cousin had seen it. The ocean-going gull had spoken of a wave of water that reared out of the sea and smashed farther inland than any other wave. This mighty wave sent the humans fleeing and scoured the shoreline clean of the buildings and roadways and barriers that the humans had built. The wave showed everyone just how mighty the ocean was. The gulls whispered the wave's name, Tsunami. (laughs) Lake Michigan withdrew its ripples and brooded even more deeply. Tsunami might be just the thing, thought the lake. I want to be like the ocean. I want to scour my shoreline clean. I want everyone to see that I am mighty. I need to make a tsunami. So the lake concentrated with all its might. Far out in the lake's center, it pushed and pulled and pushed and pulled until a new ripple began to spread toward the east. As the ripple crossed the miles of open water, it grew and grew. It became a wave, and then a white cap, and then a watery mountain. The lake drove it along, laughing as its wave towered ever higher. As that water sped toward shore, Lake Michigan began to hear a new noise, screaming and sirens. From the top of its mountainous wave, the lake could see humans near the shore, fleeing from their homes toward the safety of higher ground. The lake rejoiced. Now they would see how mighty it was. The towering wave had nearly reached the shore. Its moment of might and glory was at hand, and the lake stopped. The wall of water reared back, shuddered, and paused. A woman was standing on the beach. The wind whipped her long hair, and spray from the incoming wave splattered her face. She flailed her hands in the air and called out to the lake, Wait, Lake Michigan, stop! What are you doing? The lake slashed its wave forward a few more feet. I'm making a tsunami, it said. The gulls told me of a great wave in the great lake called the ocean. They said sometimes the ocean makes a tsunami and scours its shoreline clean and shows everyone how mighty it is. I want to scour my shoreline clean. I want everyone to know how mighty I am. So I made a tsunami. Can I get on with it? The woman shook her head. Oh, Lake Michigan, she replied. You don't need to prove yourself to anyone. We love you. We know how mighty you are, and it may be difficult for you to see, but so many humans are trying so hard to scour your shoreline clean of the damage we've done. We're doing our best to make things right. Please don't wipe all that away with a tsunami. The wall of water wavered as the lake pondered her request. The humans had grown gentler in recent decades, it reasoned. It had felt the humans planting new beach grass, turning empty industrial buildings into public parks. It had enjoyed the feeling of happy humans tumbling in its surf. It liked showing off spectacular sunrises to people in the west and fiery sunsets to people in the east. It didn't mind the boats traveling across its face as long as they were careful not to leave anything behind. The lake realized that, as much pain as they had caused over the years, humans really were trying to do better. The lake curled at the top of its monstrous wave into a nod. I have heard your request, tiny human, and I accept. I won't release this wave to scour the shoreline clean and show everyone how mighty I am. I'll leave those tasks to you and the other humans who are trying to do better. The woman smiled and fell to her knees in relief. 
Don't worry, Lake Michigan, she said. We won't let you down. So the lake relented. It pulled back and back and back until its towering wave had collapsed back into its surface. But it couldn't resist sending one big pulse of water up onto the sand. It didn't scour the shoreline clean, but it did remind the woman just how mighty that lake really was. And she turned and walked inland to bring the lake's request back to her people. So the next time Lake Michigan is whipped into a froth or atmospheric pressure from a storm far out over the water pushes a swelling wave toward shore, remember that Lake Michigan speaks to us in white caps and seiches when it could have sent a tsunami. That's awesome. Fantastic story. I have never been more glad that I live downstate and not on the coast. <laughs> I have legitimately had nightmares about walls of water swallowing my family's cottage on Lake Michigan. So this really? is pulled straight out of my brain. <laughs> and I couldn't decide what it says about me that at one point I was kind of rooting for the lake. But <laughs> maybe you all don't want to be sitting around a fire with me right now. I don't actually have a story, but just thinking about like you know the lake being scary or whatever reminds me. Well, I don't have a I don't you know I don't have a scary story to tell, but it reminds me of something that happened to me actually. So you see this bucket I'm sitting on, right? Um, this bucket actually has been with me since 1994. I went on a uh, I went on a, a canoeing trip, in the Green River in Utah, with um, like my best friend and his mentor, and back in '94, and we were you know whitewater canoeing through Desolation Canyon and Gray Canyon. And, um, you know, there's an issue when you're on, like, these week-long canoeing trips of a bathroom situation, right? And um, so I don't know what you know about going to the bathroom, but there are two types. We'll call one number one, and we'll call the other number two. Those are terms I just kind of made up. And so the number ones you would do right into the river. Uh, you know, more fun if you're a boy, I'll be honest, because you can, like, you know, do it off things. Um, but, but whatever. And uh, number two, though, went in this bucket. And, and so I don't have it now. It's just got a normal bucket top, as you can see, but it had like a toilet seat. And so the whole group's number two went into the bucket. And, and so we did this whole week of canoeing. It was one of the foundational, no kidding, foundational experiences of my life. And then at the end of the, the week came, we had to empty out the bucket. And um, uh, so we went to a KOA campground. And so what they have is they have a different top. It has basically a regular top. And it's got a tube. It looks like an elephant's trunk coming out of it. And you hook it up to like the RV camper uh, you know, uh, sewage stuff. And so we went into the bathroom to do that. And, you know, so you hook the hose up and then you hook, you hook a hose on one side and it's supposed to just blast everything out of there. And so we pulled the lever to turn on the hose. And it turns out um, there's like a gasket that goes with it. Um, oh, no. We didn't have the gasket, though. And so uh, to, quote, to quote someone with us, there was, and this is a direct quote, much seepage. Uh, so we're in this bathroom and there was seepage. So there was a guy with us. This is not a joke. He played. Uh, he played football. Um, I can't remember where he was. You know, they were all a bit older. These were law students when I was in what about sixteen years old. And um, we said, "You football dude, stand on top of the bucket." Mike was his name. And so Mike stood on top of the bucket because otherwise, so they threw the switch, and Mike lifted up, and the bucket sprayed all over this bathroom. And so we sprayed out the bathroom with the hose and we ran out of that KOA campground as fast as we could. And we flew from Utah back to New Orleans. And uh, I've kept that bucket sort of locked away ever since as a reminder of, you know, how you need to be careful with your emissions, right? Um, and so, you know, I kept it. I kept it went to Florida and Texas and then up here. And, you know, every now and again, though, like I haven't actually looked at it since we washed it out. Every now and again, though, I hear the bucket, like, kind of rattle. I'm like, what is going on? It's weird. Like a shaking noise or whatever. And so... 
you know, I've been looking into this idea of uh, like Gobi dogs as as an industry, right? You know, a little side business in case for funding. And so um, I decided I would go out and uh, look for Gobi dogs. You know, I tried to collect some Gobies, make like a, or some recipes. And so I took the bucket with me because I was like, this be, I don't have another bucket. I'm not a biologist anymore. And so I took the bucket with me uh, to go camping. And so that was all fine. And, uh, you know, not as a bathroom because now we have far more elegant solutions for that. It was a collection device. And so um, I woke up in the morning and I, I brought the bucket out with me and I went to collect gobies. Because, uh, you know, eating gobies is huge in Eastern Europe. It's very popular over there. It's something they do all the time. Um, and what's cool about gobies is they're invasive, of course, which is bad. Uh, but that's who eat zebra mussels. So that's, you know, maybe kind of cool. But then when they eat the zebra mussels, they also get a lot of botulism, which kills thousands of birds a year. So, uh, you know, uh, gobies are, are this real weird thing. And if we could have fewer gobies, that'd probably be good. So maybe we'll eat them all up. Maybe this will be the first invasive species um, that we actually deal with by, by eating. And so I was sitting there picking up gobies, like, in, in the lake, and I saw a guy there. This guy was not very shoveled. He was m- completely, you know, much less than shoveled. Long, white hair from the top of his head down to his knees. His hair was combed back, but if you look closer, you could tell it was alive with, like, the various detritus of the lake. There was algae in there and probably a couple gobies. Into- and so what he was doing, he was collecting gobies right next to me. He would pick one up and lick it and put it back. <laughs> into the lake. I was like, dude, what are you doing? You're supposed to cook them first and serve them with pickles and chili. And he looked at me. As he licked them, his eyes went spiraled. And he said, ah, ah. And he looked at me crazy-eyed and he said, eat gobies from the lake and it won't turn out great. And I, I, looked, I was like, what? 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 That's, you're a weirdo. And he said, if these you ingest, it won't be for the best. I was like, okay, sure, man. Right. Gotcha. Uh, so I put some of the you know, I opened up my bucket to collect the gobies, and as I did, I saw a little glowing in there, but I just wanted to get out of there before this creepy dude, whatever. So I threw the gobies in there, some lake water in there, and, and uh, you know, I figured probably some phosphorescence or something that had gotten in there. And so I ran back to my campsite, went to sleep, slept like a baby, uh, woke up in the morning. The bucket was overturned, and trailing from the bucket to the lake were, were footprints. Well, sort of footprints. They were, like, webbed kind of smaller than human but bigger than you know like a goby i didn't think much about it though because i had a lot going on i've actually i've been feeling really stressed lately you know with covid and everything and if you remember from teaching about the great lakes episode nine with rini's friend dr ming kuo she said that something is really important is to go out and seek out awe and so sort of the separate reason i had done this trip well yes collect gobies for goby dogs and make my fortune etc etc but also let's find some awe and so I uh, drove then to Sleeping Bear Dunes, uh, you know, it's a wonderful place. Uh, in fact, you can hear Lorraine Nelson talk about them, the teaching about the Great Lakes Episode 3. And, um, and so we went to, I went to, like, the Empire Bluff Trail, and everything was calm, and I was like, this is just what I need. I need this sense of awe. And then I got near the lake, and I heard something. It was like a ruckus of splashing. It was a school of gobies. But these gobies were not your normal gobies. These were mutant gobies. And I could tell because they had a third eye, as mutant gobies do. And they were splashing around. And they were making such a noise that it was impossible to concentrate. The sense of awe was completely, completely gone. You know, I tried to focus. I tried to do the mindfulness thing. But it was nothing but gobies and, like, the sound of fish flesh and slime. So I said, I've got to get out of there. Uh, Go to the Pyramid Point Trail, another wonderful place. Same deal. Then I went to Isle Royal. Same deal. Mutant gobies were overtaking that place. I went to Mackinac Island. You know, I grabbed a ride with Mike Pence, and we were out there, and we drove to the quietest place out there. 
And the gobies were there too. It was mutant gobies everywhere. They weren't exactly destroying the lakes, right? They weren't harming people or things, but there was no peace. There was no serenity. Everything was overcrowded. There was no awe-inspiring beauty. And so I tried to get back to work, but my stress levels were rising. Beaches were starting to close. Everything was too crowded with these mutant gobies. After a few weeks, I kept going back to the beaches. They kept being closest. The gobies started to bite. People were getting nibbled. And so people's vacations now were all overcrowding and nibbling. And it was not peaceful for anybody. It was not nice for anybody. I looked all over the lake. I couldn't find peace. I couldn't find quiet. I wasn't sure what to do. I realized, though, there was one place, one island, on top of which was a cliff that nobody knew about but me. This island was so far away, so hidden, they even have a special name for it. That name is Canada. And so I grabbed this bucket and I grabbed this cool backpack I had that is filled with ice. Uh, and, you know, I popped a couple 12-ounce cans of Serenity in there. I hijacked the RV Lake Guardian, and I drove to Canada, the island of Canada. And as I pulled up to Canada Island, it was too shallow to actually reach, right? So I hopped out, and I started to swim toward shore. I could see the island in front of me, the peacefulness right there. And I knew that that island promised me just what I needed, a moment's quiet a moment's peace and so i started swimming as i got close to shore there they were the gobies mucking around making noise stirring up the water i got to shore as quickly as possible but they began to emerge from the water the gobies were walking and the webbed feet were actually their mutant fins that they were walking across and one went to me bit my toe (laughs) ah it spit my toe out and so I grabbed it. I was like, well, thank goodness I have this red backpack full of ice here. And so I, I put the toe in the backpack. And so I started to walk. Ahead of me, I could see the cliff. I started to walk to the cliff. And then <laughs> another one. And so I got it, and I started kicking away the gobies with my eight good toes. And then with my seven, and then with my six good toes. I was low on toes at this point. I had more toes in my backpack than I had left. I knew I would have to climb the cliff. And so I reached that cliff, and I began to climb pulling myself up with my arms and my one or two intact toes. And hordes of gobies ran to the cliff, but they were unable to climb. And so I was safe. I paused on a rock, outcropping to catch my breath. The gobies gathered below, unable to climb. And so I was catching my breath. But then all of a sudden, the gobies started to stack one on top of the other. There were unlimited hordes of gobies, a mass of fish flesh climbing up the cliff. And so I knew I had to move. So I climbed as hard and as far as I could. I was losing a lot of blood at this point because again, have I said this, I'm losing like eight toes to these gobies. And so there I am. Finally, I make it to the top of the cliff, about to pass out. I reach the summit and I lay there and I see a small hut. I look at the hut and I say, there, there must be the place to go. So I pulled myself across the ground, slowly toward the hut, about to pass out, and I opened the door and I looked inside. And there was the long-haired man with the spiral eyes. And I told him my story. I said, gobies are everywhere. They got out of my bucket. I don't know what the deal was, but they're, they're everywhere. What should I do? What should I do? And so this man, he reached down and he felt my wounds. He felt my wounds, and I could feel, actually, serenity pulsing through me for just a moment, but not a piece, you know, like a crazed serenity, if that's even a thing. He put his hands on my head. What should I do? What should I do? Oh, great wise, great like mystics. And he said, my son, 
The Gobies have raided everywhere because of you. They've stolen the beauty of the lake and they've taken the serenity from us. And you are down many toes that you're now having to carry around in a convenient ice chest on your backpack. The first thing that you should do, my son, is call a tow truck. (laughs) (laughs) And that's half of a true story. That wasn't ever a shaggy dog story. (laughs) All right. So we were just talking about lack of serenity and things like that. I've got a story. I can can change things a little bit. We're going to talk about Great Lake tributaries. Great Lakes tributaries. All right. I'm not going to name drop quite as many episodes of Teach Me About the Great Lakes as Stuart did, but we have also talked about tributaries. There is nothing quite like a Great Lakes tributary on a sunny summer day. Surface waters sparkle, reflecting the light of a star that is more than 92 million miles away. Slumbering pools give way to riffles or rapids from which the water droplets soar into the next river section, while gorgeous foliage along the shoreline provides shaded spots where plant and animal life can lurk or laze, as is their preference. This is, unsurprisingly, a place where many youngsters like to spend their time. And that's just where Carl was on what turned out to be the very worst day of his life. It started out marvelously. Young and powerful, Carl and his mates swam together through the swift currents, periodically breaking the surface with a violent splash before floating happily as they rested in a slower section. They drank, they swam, they rested. They grazed on scrumptious morsels and then swam some more. They continued on, chasing each other, chasing those around them, letting plants tickle the tips of their bodies and feeling the warm sunshine on their backs. In a word, it was paradise. They were young and nothing could stop them. Except they heard a strange sound. What? What? What the... Dazed, they froze. Could they have imagined it? Yes. Yes, they must have been imagining. There it was again. It was, it was not a pleasant noise. It was a noise that you could feel in your bones, in the depths of your stomach. It was not a pleasant noise. And it worried the youths. It worried them so much that they tried to escape. That noise, that terrible, terrible noise. It kept repeating and repeating. Some of Carl's mates tried to turn back, and he saw that several had succeeded. They were hastily swimming away from the noise. But Carl? Carl was swept along. The current carried him. Kept him near the sound as it threatened to split open his head. And then, as suddenly as it had started, the noise stopped. Carl turned about, looking for his fellows. They were gone. All of them. Carl was alone. Where to go? He had nowhere to go. He he could not. Could, he could not go back toward that sound. So he followed onward along the river. Jacques! Carl was overcome with pain. Jacques! His body bucked as he was hit again and again by a wave of something that he did not understand. Jacques! Hadn't today started out in a beautiful river? Hadn't he been surrounded by, if, if not best friends, at least good companions? Hadn't he? Oh, gosh, there it was again. The shock! Ah, the shock! And then it was done. 
Just like the noise before it, the shock suddenly stopped. Disoriented, Carl turned about in the water, no longer sure which way was up, down, forward, or aft. His strong, solid frame was shaken to the core, but his body knew how to calm itself. He gulped for air, slowed his heart rate. He looked about once again. He was still alone, but thankfully, blessedly, the strange sounds and shocks were no longer attacking his senses. The sun still shone overhead and the sky was still blue. Things were going to be okay, weren't they? Yes, they were. All he had to do was just turn himself the right way in the river and then, and then he ran into the net. Like a million little razors, the net line cut into his flesh. Carl screamed inside his head, what is going on? He swam up, trying to breach the top. He swam side to side, but the net blocked him every way. He racked his brain for answers, screaming again, why is this happening to me? He looked furtively right, left, left, right, up, down, down. He started swimming. Perhaps he could go under the net if he couldn't go over it. Perhaps if he just kept pushing, he fought. He fought as if his life depended on it. He fought and he pushed and he swam and he pushed and then... Then he broke the surface of the water. He writhed about. The net was tangled all about him. He gasped for air, but none came. None came. No air. His body thumped onto something hard. He gasped for again for air. Still none came. A sound, though. A sound of... Good thing we had that net in as a safety, eh? Little bugger managed to get all, past all the barriers. Little bugger? Yeah, though I'm not sure I'd call him little. He'll be some good eating for someone. Little bugger! Carl gasped for air that would not come because he could not breathe if he was not underwater. And as he died, Carl thought to himself, Bugger! Bugger! I'm not a bug at all! I'm a fish who eats bugs! Well, not bugs. Plankton. And that is how Carl, the Asian carp, died. Oh, brutal. Oh. Brutal. <laughs> what man. an ending. Harsh. Bad. Poor Carl, man. Poor Carl. <laughs> Did y'all hear that or was it? What? Was that? What? what was that? I heard something. Kind of loud. I don't know. What was that? Yeah. I don't know either. Yeah, I mean these, these are a lot of scary things. I've, I've got one more I've got one more scary story, okay? Right. Oh, oh, do you? Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Ready? Uh-huh. Stuart, do you think you could give me like a thunderclap or something, or you have a sound ready? Yeah, yeah here. All right. Uh, dramatic yeah, sound. You, you tell me. All right, dramatic sound now? Yeah. All right. Uh, one more scary story. Sure. Let me just. I haven't sung this one in a while, so I got to loosen up my throat. All right. <clears throat> okay. Climate change! <laughs> that was terrifying. Oh. That, that's my story. <laughs> no, that, that is that is a, a scary story. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and we know, you know, with climate change and stuff, there's been like a lot of, uh, you know, controversy over it. And like, what do we do? How do we adapt? I mean, right now in Purdue, in fact, there's even a lot of discussion about climate change and the controversy. And, and so I think it's important. That, what? What? There, there it is again. What's going on? Is it getting closer, Stuart? I, I think they are. Geneva, what is what, what? Geneva, what is that on your? Oh, 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 oh,
Oh, Carolyn, we're coming for you! Oh, no! Alright, oh, it's Cicada, Ethan, and Hope. Don't worry, we're okay. It's Brew 10. I know, I know these bastards. Alright, listen, Hope and Ethan, I promise you we're fine because Brew 10 did not come to West Lafayette this year. And so, we're gonna. Uh, oh, no, Ethan, it's on you! It's on you! Teach Me About the Great Lakes is produced by No Hope Charters, Scarolyn Foley, Megan Loaded Gun, and I Scream Miles. Ethan, I don't have a scary last name for you, but you're our associate producer and our fixer. Our super fun podcast artwork is by Scary Joel Davenport. The show is edited by the awesome Quinn Rose, and I encourage you to check out her work at aspiringrobot.com. If you have a question about the show, please email it to teachmeaboutthegreatlakes at gmail.com or leave a message on our spookily hotline at 765-494-IISG. You can also follow us on the show, follow the show on Twitter at Teach Great Lakes. And of course, as always, thank you for listening and keep grading those lakes. I'm fine, Thomas. Thank you. (laughs) 